thank you, James, and uh, thank you for the privilege of uh, coming this morning and ministering to you. It's a privilege to be here, and I did want to send greetings from Hope Bible Church, and uh, we are so grateful for what the Lord is doing in your midst here at Cornerstone, and uh, so grateful for the partnership we have in ministry and for the many years that uh, we have uh, looked forward to in serving the Lord together. Uh, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and open it to 2 Samuel, as we've read. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And let's read again from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baali, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart, that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see in our passage this morning is that the sin that this passage is addressing is the sin of irreverence. Verse 7 specifies the sin for us. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. What we see in this passage is how one man faced the holy displeasure of God because he carelessly handled the Ark of the Covenant. It is a passage dealing with the sin of irreverence. Now obviously this passage is the type that we don't hear too much teaching and preaching on these days. 
but it's a passage that is greatly instructive for our lives because of what Romans 15.4 says. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. And what this passage does is it serves as a solemn testimony as to the Lord's holy displeasure toward those who would treat Him with an attitude of irreverence. Not only for those who lived in Old Testament times, but for those who live in New Testament times. As we look at this passage together, what I'd like for you to see is the ways that the sin of irreverence would show itself in a man or a woman's life. What I want you to see is the character of irreverence. And I trust that as you focus your heart and your mind with me this morning on this passage and what we would have to learn, that you would ask yourself as you come to worship the Lord and examine your own life and ask yourself, what kind of an attitude am I bringing to the holy things of God? If we could sum up the character of irreverence in one word, it would be simply this. The character of irreverence as seen in our passage could be summed up in the one word, carelessness. Carelessness. Irreverence in this passage is simply this. It is a careless handling of the holy things of God. Irreverence in this passage is not a lack of great passion because we know that David was a man of great and enormous passion. Irreverence in this passage is not a lack of emotion because in this passage we see much and fervent emotion. If you look at verse 5, we see David in the house of Israel celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments, furwood, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. It is emotion upon emotion. This is a great scene of great passion and emotion. Irreverence is seen in this passage as not a lack of good intention because if we see and understand David's heart in this passage, we see that he had the best of intentions in how he handled the ark of God. But what we see in this passage, brothers and sisters, is a carelessness, a careless handling of the holy things of God. This is the way an irreverent attitude will show itself, not only in David's life, but in your life and in my life as well. Now the Word of God reminds us that there are some things of God that cannot be treated as commonplace or profane. They must be handled carefully with an attitude of reverence and an attitude of respect. And if there was one thing in the Old Testament times that was to be treated with great respect and great reverence, it was this holy item known as the Ark of the Covenant. In other places of Scripture, this item is also called the Ark of God. It is called the Ark of the Testimony. It is called the Ark of God's Strength. Whichever way the Word of God referred to this item, we learn from Scripture that this was an item that had to be treated with the utmost of reverence and the utmost of carefulness. 
God gave careful and detailed instruction in Old Testament times as to how exactly this item was to be built, how precisely the ark was to be constructed, and the exact and detailed measurements that it was to be given. In Exodus 25, we find the detailed and careful instructions as to how the ark was to be constructed. It was to be exactly two and a half cubits long. It was to be exactly one and a half cubits wide. And it was to be exactly one and a half cubits high. Exodus 25 specified that this ark was to be overlaid with pure gold inside and out. It was to have exactly four gold rings fastened to it. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other. It was to have poles made of acacia wood. And the poles were to be overlaid with gold. The poles were to be put and inserted into the rings of the sides of the ark to be carried when the ark needed to be transported from one place to the other. God gave careful and detailed instructions as to how exactly this ark was to be handled. In Numbers chapter 4, we find the detailed and specific instructions as to how this ark was to be carried when it was to be transported to another place. It was to be carried only by the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi. Before the ark was to be transported, it was to be covered by the veil of the screen, and the poles were to be inserted into its four rings. The duty of covering the ark was to be performed by Aaron and his sons. And it was only after the ark was covered that the sons of Kohath were to come and transport the ark. Number 7-9 specified exactly how the ark was to be carried. The sons of Kohath were to take the poles which were inserted into the rings. They were to put it onto their shoulders. And this, thus they would carry the ark of the covenant to another place. Very detailed, very specific instructions as to how to treat and how to handle the Ark of the Covenant. The message of God's Word was abundantly clear. The Ark of the Covenant was to be treated with the utmost of care. It was to be treated with the utmost of respect. It was to be precisely built and handled with precision. God gave specific and direct warning that failure to heed any of these instructions in either building and handling the Ark of the Covenant would result in death. Numbers 4.15 says this, When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them so that they may not touch the holy objects and die. Failure to follow these careful and precise instructions would result in death. The ark itself was to be located into the one area of the tabernacle known as the Holy of Holies. It was the one area of the tabernacle that was separated from the rest of the tabernacle by a veil. And this special area of the tabernacle represented the holy 
presence of God. And only once a year was any man allowed to enter into this area. And that was on the Day of Atonement. If any other man, or even the high priest himself, were to enter into this area, into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, at any other time, for any other reason, God gave warning that that man would die. These were instructions that were careful. These were instructions that were precise. These were instructions that were detailed. Now in the sad and sordid history of Israel, we learn that the Ark of the Covenant was neglected. And as the Ark of the Covenant represented the special presence of God among His people, the neglect, the shabby treatment of the Ark represented the spiritual decline of the heart of the nation. In 1 Samuel 4, we read that the Ark of the Covenant was actually taken captive by the enemies of Israel, the Philistines. The Philistines came and took the Ark of the Covenant and they took it into their city of Ashdod. This was an event that was so devastating in nature that the daughter-in-law of Eli at this event named her son Ichabod, a term that means no glory. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God was taken. The presence of the ark of the covenant in the Philistine land had terrible consequences for the Philistine people. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon the Philistines, and he ravaged them with tumors and smote them consequences of having the ark in their presence was so severe that the Philistines cried for the ark to be sent away from them and to be sent back to Israel. And so we learn in 1 Samuel 6 and 7 that the ark was sent back to Israel where it came to rest in a city called Kiriath-Jerim, otherwise known as Bailey Judah. There in the city called Bailey Judah, the ark rested and stayed throughout the reign of Saul, and we do not meet the ark again until 2 Samuel 6, which is our passage this morning. Now, brothers and sisters, if you understand this background, and you understand what the ark of the covenant meant, and you understand the instructions that were given to the people of Israel on how to handle the ark, and how the ark was transported to the Philistine people and brought back we then realize that as we come to 2 Samuel 6, that 2 Samuel 6 should have been one of the greatest days in David's life. David has just been anointed the king of Israel in 2 Samuel 5. In one of his first acts as the newly anointed king, he purposes in his heart to go to Kiriath-Jerim, take the Ark of the Covenant, and bring it to the center capital of Jerusalem. You see, unlike his predecessor Saul, David was a man after God's own heart. 
And he desired that the Ark of the Covenant, representing the special presence of God among his people, not rest in a secondary city on the side, but that it come to the very center and capital of the nation. This is one of his first acts as king. And it's reflective of the heart of David, that he was a man after God's own heart. He wanted the ark not in a secondary place. He wanted the ark right in the center of Jerusalem. This should have been one of the greatest days of David's life. The restoration of the ark to the city of Jerusalem was emblematic of a spiritual restoration of the nation that now we do not have a king that is like our king before. We have a new king. He is a king after God's own heart and he desires the ark to be in the center capital of the nation. This should have been a great day. And it's no wonder as we look at this scene that initially this is a day of incredible celebration and joy. It's no wonder that we see David in the house of Israel celebrating with all kinds of instruments, firwood, lyres, harps, tambourines. It's no wonder we see such a great celebration because they are celebrating the restoration of the ark to the center capital of Jerusalem. It may surprise you that there are estimated that at least 11 of our psalms, of the 150 psalms in the Bible, have been composed, it's estimated, around this one event. The ark is being brought back to Jerusalem. And one of those psalms is Psalm 24. That people believe that this is a psalm that was sung as the ark was bringing, brought back to Jerusalem. And you can imagine this psalm being read or sung with jubilation and joy as the ark is brought back to Jerusalem. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. All kinds of instruments, harps, lyres, castanets, tambourines, everybody is celebrating the restoration of the ark of God to the center capital of the nation. So on this day of great spiritual celebration, on this day of great spiritual restoration, on this day of tremendous joy, how is it possible that we find a man struck dead because of his irreverence. You understand this passage, you understand that this is the last day that we would have ever expected a man struck dead because of disrespect toward God. What went wrong? What happened? How did one of the greatest days in David's life turn into something so traumatic that he said, I'm not willing to have the ark in Jerusalem anymore. If 
we look at our passage carefully, we understand what went wrong. What went wrong was not a lack of emotion. What went wrong was not a lack of passion or good intention. What went wrong was a carelessness in how David handled the ark of God. In his zeal to bring the ark up from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem, in his passion to place the ark in the center capital of the nation, in his desire to restore spirituality to the nation of Israel, David made a fatal mistake. He failed to follow God's specific instructions as to how the ark was to be carried. And instead of having the ark transported by the sons of Kohath, covered by the sons of Aaron, carried about on poles, inserted into the four rings on the shoulders of the Kohathites, David did something different. Verse 3. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart. What's wrong with that? Gets the job done, right? In fact, it's not just any cart, it's a new cart. We're talking real respect here. Only the best, right? He didn't follow the instructions. You see, it wasn't that David did a wrong thing so much as he did a right thing in a wrong way. He failed to follow God's specific instructions. And it ended up costing a man's life. You might ask, where did David get this idea that the ark of God could be treated in this way and transported on a cart? Well, 1 Samuel 6, 11 gives us a clue as to where he got this idea. For when the Philistines took the ark and they transported it from the Philistine land back into Israel, it says that they put the ark of the Lord on a cart. You see, David wanted to do a great work of God. But instead of doing it in the way that God had told him to do it, he did it in the way the world did it. And it cost a man's life. Now, brothers and sisters, where is the sin of irreverence going to show itself in our lives? Where is the sin of disrespect going to show itself as we live our Christian lives? Can I say this? It's not going to show itself in a lack of emotion necessarily, or a lack of passion, or even a lack of good intention. It will show itself in a carelessness as to how we handle the holy things of God. The attitude of a reverence basically says this, who cares? Who cares if it's poles and if it's acacia wood 
And if it's rings, and if there's four, or if there's five, or if they're Kohathites, or if they're Philistines, who cares as long as we get the job done, right? Who cares? And God cares. God cares because he said it is to be done this way. And some people look at this passage and they say, well, God's pretty harsh, isn't he? I mean, don't you think that that's just a little bit severe? Don't you think that that's a little bit mean just to strike a man dead? Just because he touched the Ark of Covenant? Isn't that unfair for God to do that? And um, I have to be honest with you. My answer to that question is simply this. If you have that question, go read 1 Samuel 6. Because in 1 Samuel 6, God strikes not one man, but 50,070 men dead at Beth Shemeth because the men there dared to look inside the ark of the Lord. Before you deal with one man being struck dead because he touched the ark, deal with 50,000 men being struck dead because they dared to look inside the ark. And there we have the real crux of the matter. The question is not, why is God so harsh? And why is God so mean? And why is God so severe? To strike a man dead. The real question is, why is God so gracious that he allows people to live when all the time they disrespect him in his face? That's the real question. Now, I want to answer a question because I know we're in the Old Testament. And I know that some of you may look at this passage and say, well, that was great. Um, yeah, I guess speaker today, he spoke from the Old Testament. And Old Testament is great, nice little stories, but it's not really for today because uh, Old Testament is, you know, God is mean and God is unloving and harsh in the Old Testament. But we're in the New Testament and God is grace and love and mercy, all grace and mercy and love in the New Testament. And so, well, that was a great and enlightening story, but it's not really relevant for today. God doesn't strike down people in the New Testament because of their irreverence. And I need to answer that just for a moment and take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'd like you to turn there. A very familiar chapter to us, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And all I want to do is show you from the scripture that what we see in 1 Samuel 6 is not something that's relegated to Old Testament times. It is in fact something that is the New Testament bears testimony of as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a familiar passage to all of us dealing with the Lord's Supper. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I do also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Very familiar passage. We all know it. 
Paul is dealing with the order of the Lord's table. Now what I want you to see is this. David was guilty of the sin of irreverence in Old Testament times. The Corinthians were guilty of the sin of irreverence in the New Testament times. David was guilty in his careless treatment of the Ark of the Covenant. The Corinthians were guilty in their careless treatment of the Lord's table. The consequence of David's carelessness was a man's life. And brothers and sisters, don't miss this. The consequence of the Corinthians' irreverence in this passage were people's lives. Verse 30. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Sleep is a common New Testament way of referring to physical death. When the Corinthians were coming to this time of remembrance of the Lord, remembrance of the Lord Jesus, and they were treating it with an attitude of gross irreverence. Verse 18, they were coming, that divisions were existing among them. There were factions. It's evident that in this case, that the Corinthians were celebrating the Lord's Supper after they held a common meal, and in this common meal they were disrespecting each other. Verse 20, Therefore when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for it is in your eating each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. People actually drunk at this time. And Paul calls it what it is in verse 22, What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God? And shame those who have nothing. The consequence of irreverence in the church, at least in this case, was the same as the consequence in the Old Testament times. God disciplined the irreverent members of this church in verse 30. Some were weak and some were sick. And some, a number, God had actually taken their lives. What God is saying in this passage, He's saying, I'm not playing church. As I look around me, I see that it seems, at least in my life, and it seems in the life of those I see, God seems to show a lot of grace for people who come into the church and despise the church. I don't see many people falling down dead, at least in my church. But there's no guarantees. There's nothing in the New Testament that says, hey guys, that era is over, we don't need to respect God anymore, and God doesn't discipline people anymore for their disrespect. Let's just play it fast and loose. God hasn't changed. He is still a holy God. He is still a God that is deserving of the utmost of respect and the utmost of reverence. And let me leave you with... Um, some practical exhortations as we just draw our thoughts together from this passage. 
This is a, I realize, a difficult passage. And yet one that is so needed in our day and our time today. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant today. And we don't have Coathites and acacia poles and rings and we don't have a tabernacle to transport. But we do have things that we are called to show careful attention and careful respect. We do have things of God today in the New Testament that we must show the utmost of respect for. And I want to give you four. Just draw your thoughts together. As you go from here and as you've seen what has happened in the New Testament, the Old Testament, where do we go? What do we do with this passage? What do we do with this lesson? Let's draw four lessons. Number one, first of all, let us learn to handle carefully our times of worship with an attitude of reverence and respect. Let us learn to handle carefully our times of worship with an attitude of reverence and respect. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Brothers and sisters, what we are seeing today is the trivialization of worship. It is not a lack of emotion. And it is not a lack of passion. It is a carelessness. And I'm not just talking about churches out there. And I'm not just talking about churches that are unsound doctrinally. I'm talking about the churches that we might say are in our little camp. Our doctrine is sound. Our theology is correct. And yet, our worship is careless. And we are flippant, and we are casual, and we have lost what it means to fear the Lord in our times of worship. I was at a church service once where I couldn't believe what I was seeing at the end of the service, and this is not to bash any other church. I have enough things to examine in my own life, but in this church service, it was the opening, the closing song, the closing song of the service. And as a closing song came and, and everyone stood up, people started to file out. And I've been at Dodger games where people leave in the eighth inning because they want a better way out of the parking lot. And it was the exact same feeling. Let's get out early because we want to be the first in our cars. A casual, flippant attitude. Let us handle our times of worship with, a ta with great reverence and respect. I don't know about you, but Pastor and I had to go through actually the songs of, that were in our church 